Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Hey, Shabbat Shalom, Juma Mubarak, TGIF. It's Friday. It's Anything Goes Friday today. Although we've got, uh, you know, there's there's a lot going on that I'd like to mention. Uh, But, uh, you know, if there's anything you want to talk about from, you know, whether the lizard people have taken over the Internet or, you know, is that cigar-shaped thing flying through the skies, really a spaceship? Yeah, Drudge is, no, it's a rock. But, you know, you never know. Anyhow, 202-808-9925 is our telephone number. Ajit Pai, the former Verizon lawyer, and I would bet money, future employee, well-paid employee of the telecommunications industry or contractor thereto, Ajit Pai yesterday blew up net neutrality. There is a way around this. I talked about this yesterday. You're not hearing word one about this in the corporate media because the corporate media is, by and large, owned by companies that either are Internet service providers or aspire to be through mergers or through business model changes. But there is a piece of legislation called the Congressional Review Act that passed a number of years ago. Uh, Republicans pushed this thing through so that if a Democrat was in office and, say, expanded the authority of the Environmental Protection Agency, Congress could slap their hand. And they did this to Obama more than once. And now there are Democrats who are saying, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We're going to use the Congressional Review Act to overturn the FCC's killing net neutrality. And all it requires, this does not require a supermajority in either either body of Congress. It just requires a simple majority in both the House and the Senate. And once that happens, net neutrality gets reversed. So people all over the country right now are calling their members of Congress. In the House, you have two members of the House, excuse me, two members of the Senate, one member of the House. Unless you live in Washington, D.C., in which case you only have a, a member of the House who doesn't have the uh, power to vote. But Eleanor Holmes Norton has been a champion of good, good causes for years and years, so it's even worth calling her. Uh, she, can, she can lobby, as it were, talk to her peers. And when you call, when you call the, uh, the, the offices of Congress, or the offices of your senators and your member of 
the House of Representatives, uh, just simply say, we would please, please vote for a resolution of disapproval of the FCC under the Congressional Review Act to reverse this killing of net neutrality. Right? Good thing. I have a question for you. Uh, you'll recall back two years, a little more than two years ago, we got a dog, Louise and I. Uh, he's a uh, Australian shepherd, a miniature Australian shepherd, more or less. And, uh, you know, he's, and I was asking for your advice on, you know, bringing a dog in with two cats. At the time, we had three cats, actually. And we got a lot of good advice. Well, now uh, it's been, the dog is three years old. He still has separation anxiety, particularly around Louise. When she leaves, he just goes nuts, running back and forth and breathing fast and all this kind of stuff. And so we're thinking, let's get a second dog to just kind of hang out with Blue and make him less crazy. He's a, he's, he's, I mean, he's well-trained. In these three years, uh, Louise has done a spectacular job of training him. He knows a whole, he's got a very large vocabulary and he responds very well, but he's just got this whole thing of, you know, if, if Louise or I are not around, he goes nuts. So uh, any advice on how to introduce Blue to the new dog? We're, we're looking at a puppy that's a, uh, it's a kind of a mutt. He's a, uh, a part uh, Australian Shepherd, part Poodle, you know, whatever. And, uh, but, you know, seems to be size-wise and temperamentally-wise a, a good companion for Blue. And uh, any, res- you know, and, and also Blue can be a little resource protective around toys. He's, you know, he fights to protect his toys. How do we get him to dial that back? So if you have any thoughts on that, I'd love to hear them. So let's see. Net neutrality. Oh, the Puerto Rico. The tax bill, the Republican tax bill, has a couple of provisions that are actually in my opinion, not terrible things, except for the way they're being applied. The, you know, obviously the vast majority of the Republican tax bill is terrible. And then these, these couple of small things that are, you know, not unreasonable are not, you know, any reason to vote for it. But basically what it, what it does is, is it says that you know, if you're an American company and you're producing products offshore, you're going to have to pay a 20% tariff on those products when you bring them into the United States, even though it's a, a foreign subsidiary. And another says that you can no longer deduct foreign taxes that you pay from your U.S. tax return. Well, that's all well and good if you're, if you're a company, you know, an American company like Apple or GE or something that makes most of your stuff overseas. But this legislation does not exempt Puerto Rico from this. So we're going to see now Puerto Rico, the, the few companies that are still manufacturing, American companies are still manufacturing in Puerto Rico, they're going to be hit with a 20% tariff on bringing things into the, United, into the continental United States to sell them. Uh, you know, Puerto Rico is being dealt with as if it was a completely separate country, and yet Puerto Ricans are, are American citizens. Puerto Rico is a U.S. protectorate. It's a U.S. territory. So this is not a good thing. Yesterday, somebody called up, called into the program and said that she had just watched this movie, Trumping Democracy, and it totally blew her mind. And so I made a note of it. And yesterday afternoon when I got home, Louise and I uh, pulled up Trumping Democracy. It was available on Amazon. Uh, we have a, an Amazon Prime account. I'm assuming, you know, whether or not. So we could, you know, we watched it for free. Um, I don't know if it's free for everybody else if you don't have a Prime account, but it's there on Amazon and it's coming soon to uh, Google Play, Vimeo, Vudu, uh, Xbox, and Overdrive. 
And it just blew my mind. Uh, the movie is, it's called Trumping Democracy. And it's all about basically Robert and Rebecca Mercer and how they used an intellectual technique that Robert Mercer, Robert Mercer is like this, you know, super genius guy, right? And he figured out how to get, just shave a little extra margin on stock trades. And out of that produced a hedge fund company that made him a billionaire. He was just a middle-class guy. He was working for IBM. He was just a very smart programmer and math guy. And, uh, this, this documentary, it, 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 you know, it's the story basically of how Robert and Rebecca Mercer and Cambridge Analytica won the election for Donald Trump. How and why? And it's absolutely shocking. It's called Trumping Democracy. And I just I want to encourage you to check it out. Uh, today is the 15th of December. Today is the last day. Had this been any day in the last six or seven years, there would have been another two weeks to sign up for Obamacare. In fact, it might have been another six weeks. I think the sign-up ran until the end of January, as I recall. But now it doesn't even run till the end of December. You've got to be signed up for Obamacare by today. And yes, the law right now says if you don't have health insurance this year, you will pay a tax penalty. So the, the place to do, do this is at healthcare.gov. Go to healthcare.gov, and, and uh, if you don't have Obamacare, in, in about half the country, you can get a, a people, you know, about half of American citizens are eligible for Obamacare for free or for very, very, very little money. So check it out. And finally, the uh, Republicans on the, Labor, on the uh, National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, which is supposed to represent the interests of labor, just ruled yesterday in a three to two ruling, three Republicans to two Democrats, the Republican majority said that it is going to be harder for employees and for unions to challenge any company that is franchised. Under the Obama administration, they said, if you're going to go after an individual franchisee, an owner of a McDonald's store, for example, you can also go after McDonald's for unfair labor practices. Uh, Now, No, you can't go after the big company. You can't go after where the real money is. This is a horrible hit to workers. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Which, of course, is totally to be expected because the Trump administration is all about billionaires and plutocrats. I mean, he's a billionaire himself. Uh, Should anybody be surprised? Uh, let's see here. Anything goes Friday. Tony in Huntsville, Alabama. Hey, Tony, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, what I called about was uh, I was watching uh, Lawrence O'Donnell last night, and he said that the word is that Paul Ryan will not run in 2018. Yeah, I've... And I was, I've... I was wondering, had you heard anything about that? The point is, he can't take a chance of losing to the Democrat, is the thought, because he wants to run for president again. Yeah, I think uh, Randy uh, Ironstash, what's Randy's last name? Bryce? Bryce, yeah, Randy Bryce. Yeah, Bryce. Uh, He's, right now, it's looking like he's going to beat Paul Ryan. So I suspect that Paul Ryan is looking at that situation and looking at his 
uh, former colleague Eric Cantor, who used to be the House uh, Majority Whip, the number two Republican in the House of Representatives. And of course, Eric Cantor got his lunch, you know, eaten by Dave Bratt um, right. in the primary. Now, this this isn't a primary run; it's a general run. But but uh, what Eric Cantor did after he lost that election is he went off to a five million dollar a year job as a lobbyist. And Paul Ryan's got a couple of young kids, and he's only making 180 grand a year as a, as a congressman. And he literally could start at $5 million a year in any lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. So my guess is that he, he sees which way the wind is blowing. Trump is nuts. You've got a crazy man as president. It's a lousy time to be in a senior position of leadership on, in the same party. Uh, there's a very good chance he won't win his own reelection. Uh, the, 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 the problem that Paul Ryan has is that he's apparently been telling close friends about this for several weeks, maybe a month now. And one of those close friends leaked it to the press, and that's how it got into Lawrence O'Donnell. It was on all the other shows on MSNBC yesterday, too. And so now the problem that Paul Ryan has is he's asking a whole bunch of Republicans in the House of Representatives, including 14 Republicans who were elected by the state of California. He's asking them to walk the plank. He's asking them to vote for a piece of tax legislation that is so unpopular, even three out of five Republicans don't like it. Four out of five Americans don't like it. It's an insanely unpopular piece of legislation. And he's asking these Republicans to walk the plank and then run for re-election. And now that they know that, in, that there's a chance, a probability, in fact, I would say, that Paul Ryan himself has already decided not to run for re-election, they're asking themselves, okay, do I do what Paul Ryan is doing and you know, give, the, give the billionaires their tax cut and then hope that they'll hire me as a lobbyist when I, when I lose the election? Or do I fight against the tax bill and against the billionaires and, you know, or do I simply just resign from Congress like Paul Ryan's doing? I mean, you know, what, what do I do? And this, right. and this is going to well, make it harder for him to get this vote passed in the House of Representatives, which is why he's denying these, alley, these, these uh, rumors. Well, that was my next point, that he's committing, they're committing suicide with this tax bill by doing that. I mean, yep. it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to the country, I think, uh, <laughs> for them to, to not pass this bill. Because Paul Ryan is supp- supposed to be their, their leader, and we know that all senators aren't created equal. So just because he could go get a $5 million a year job doesn't mean that the next uh, bread and butter senator actually can do that. Right, right. Or, or a member of the House. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. Spot on. We'll see where this goes. I mean, you know, it's, uh, we're in a real we'll see moment here right now. But uh, this Paul Ryan has to be, uh, or at least the people around him have to be a little uncomfortable. He's going to be fine no matter what. I mean, if he loses the election, if he, if he doesn't run for reelection, or if he wants, oh. or if he is reelected, he's got, he's done so many favors for the Coke in network and the billionaire class. They're going to take care of him really well for the rest of his life. Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. Um, did you, were you making a point about about your dog? Uh, yeah, I was earlier? asking for advice. Because yeah. I've done that once, and okay. I got a dog for my dog, and the mistake I made uh-huh. was not making sure that the dogs had even temperament. Yeah. Baxter is a Maltese, and we went and got Bruno, who was a pit, and Baxter could not stand Bruno, and he just ran from me most of the time, and he was miserable. We had to get rid of him. Oh, that's so the key is to get a dog with matching temperament. Well, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, Blue is a is an Australian Shepherd or a miniature Australian Shepherd, and and you know, which is a herding dog, and uh, and he's like super into herding and things like that, and hyper vigilant. 
Um, and the dog that we're looking at is, is part Australian Shepherd and part Poodle, and I don't know if there's other parts in there. Um, but oh, yeah. has a very similar great. temperament, same size, you know, and they're both, and they both love to herd balls. So you think that'll work, oh, Tony? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be great. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Thanks a lot, Tony. Great talking with you. I, I appreciate the information. appreciate the feedback. Um, I just have 20 seconds here to the break, so I, I'll pick up the rest of your calls after the bottom of the hour break. Uh, the final concept that I'd wanted to share with you today is this thing called, uh, which is a Nordic word. It's originally a Swedish word, but it's used in Norway, all across Scandinavia. That means basically living outdoors. And I, I really got this the other day. I, I noticed that I was picking up my phone just because I was bored. And, you know, actually, this is a longer rant. I'm, I'm going to share this with you at the top of the next hour because uh, I've got a whole bunch of thoughts around this that, that I think are actually important. And I'm hitting a break. And I've got a bunch of calls here. So we'll pick up your calls for the rest of the hour. I'll share this idea of, uh, of uh, Friluftsliv with you at the top of the next hour and get your thoughts on that, too. So stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. It's our Anything Goes weekend right here. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I was telling you about, I, st- I started to tell you about Friluftsliv, uh, which is the, an expression that literally translates as open air living. There's a great article about this in today's uh, BBC by Maddie Savage, uh, bbc.com, I believe, or .co.uk. It's titled uh, Friluftsliv the Nordic concept of getting outdoors. And uh, Louise and I lived in, in, in Germany for a year, 1986, 87, uh, in a fairly rural part of Germany. We lived in a little town called Stadtsteinach that had maybe, I don't know, 15, 20,000 people. And the next town over was Gumpersdorf, which had maybe 100 people, maybe even 50. And then Kumbach, where they make a lot of beer, but, you know, which fairly small town too. And we were surrounded by forest, by the German forest, the Franconian forest, the, 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 the Frankenwald. And every, every day, not just on weekends, but every day, you could, you could walk out into the woods 
and I did uh, virtually every day. Uh, you go out and walk in the woods and uh, see all these people from town, you know, middle-aged people, older people, young people, a lot of older people, they're particularly into this, but young people, I mean, there's all this whole network of trails through the forest and they were well-marked actually and well-maintained because there, there's this European notion or at least this Northern and Western European notion that being out in the, in, the, in the open air, being out in nature is a healthy thing for you physically and psychologically and spiritually. And that has absolutely been my experience. And uh, the, the, in this article by the BBC, Maddie Savage writes, it's minus two degrees Celsius, frost-tipped grass lines, the hiking trails snaking through the forest in Erzvik, a Stockholm suburb on the edge of the Swedish capital's technology and science hub, Kista. Yet despite the frigid temperatures, there's a steady footfall of workers and joggers out and about during their lunch break. We do it year-round, says Tina Holm, a scientist at the Nordic headquarters of a pharmaceutical and cosmetics firm, Perigo. You get so much energy from it, she says. We have a saying here in Sweden, there's no such thing as bad weather, there's only bad clothes. We've got that here in Portland, too, right? <laughs> Throughout the long and rainy winter, uh, you, you, know, you see somebody with an umbrella, you know they're not from Oregon. Uh, you know, everybody learns how to, how to wear a waterproof hoodie. Anyway, uh, the, they have these clubs in Sweden has uh, 10 million people. There are 25 nonprofit associations anchored to, uh, or however you say it, uh, 1.7 million memberships. About a third of Swedes engage in outdoor activities at least once a week. More than half of the population have access to a summer home or a countryside on the coast, in the countryside or on the coast. Many Scandinavian employers also incentivize staff to spend time outside during their working hours. And the story I started to tell you, you know, where, where I'm going with this, is I had noticed over the last couple of years that it seemed to me, I mean, this is, it's really hard for us all to judge, you know, our own quality of life and our own, the nature of our, our work and our world and our friendships and everything else from inside our own heads. I mean, we do not have an objector, objective observer status or stance. Uh, everything is subjective. Everything is, you know, we're looking at it through our, the lens of ourselves. But, it's, but that, given that and the, all the bias that might be intrinsic to that, I, what I had noticed is la over the last couple of years, it just seemed to me that time was going faster and faster. I was getting less and less done and my life seemed to be getting more and more frantic. Now, granted up until just a few months ago up until the end of September I was also doing a television show in the evening so you know our show prep Louise and, and and my show prep we would start at six or seven in the morning this is when we were on the East Coast you know looking through the news finding out what's going on in the world putting stuff on the one sheet interacting with Sean about guests and shows and, and topics and 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 you know our workday ended at 8 30 9 o'clock at night after the tv show was over and we had broken down from that and 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 you know made tentative plans for the next morning so our work day was seven to nine you know it was a what is that 14 hour work day now just doing the radio show we're down to maybe a eight or nine or ten hour work day uh, some days seven or eight hours um but i don't think that was it because you know we moved to portland and i thought okay this is great i'm my work day is cutting down to a reasonable number of hours i should feel less uh frenetic and i was sitting in our in the living room of this, this our new home uh here in portland and the tv was off and i picked up the phone 
to just like do something, right? Okay, oh geez, I've got the, you know, the Financial Times on here, the New York Times, the Washington Post, I've got a solitaire game, I've got, you know, email, I've got, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff I can do, right? And I suddenly realized I have stopped being bored. I have stopped, in the last couple of years, I have stopped something that was an important part of my whole entire life, which was just sitting there going, okay, this is boring, but I'm here and I'm alive and I'm awake and I'm present. And that mindfulness, that just kind of bringing your attention to the moment, that idea of, oh yeah, here I am. It, it, to paraphrase Ram Das, you know, where are you? What time it is? I, what time is it? I am here. It is now. I realized, I mean, this was, I started meditating when I was 15 years old. It had always been an important part of my life. And I realized in the last couple of years, it had really taken like 20th place in my hierarchy of priorities. And that my phone was constantly dragging me out of the present and into past, future, or entertainment. And I was not living in the moment. And so I, I looked at the phone for a second and I set it back down and I said, you know, I'm just going to sit here for a few minutes and just be in this chair. And it was the beginning, and this was just a few weeks ago, it was the beginning of a process of realizing that my mental chemistry has been altered by the use of a smartphone over the last five years or 10 years or however long I've had one. I've, uh, this is, I think, my fifth or sixth uh, smartphone, although a couple of them died because they got wet. But so I'm not sure exactly how long I've had, you know, one of these contraptions, but it has, it has, in fact, I noticed it when I was laying in bed. I, in fact, I think I told this story on the air. I was laying in bed reading a book and I was reading a Robert Parker novel and my brain would go someplace and I would constantly try to bring myself back to the novel, but sometimes it would go someplace and I'd find myself and I'd realize 10 minutes later, Hey, I've been playing solitaire for five minutes, you know, or free cell or whatever. Uh, which is, you know, what I tend to do when I get bored. And I'm, I'm making a conscious effort not to do that anymore. To just be present, to, to be once again comfortable with being bored. Or when I am bored, to say, hey, you know, great time to take the dog for a walk. Let's go outside. There's a, there's a little park right, right, you know, 50 yards from our from our home, let's take the dog for a walk. Let's, you know, let's sit outside. Let me go on the, on the, on the back deck and just, you know, look at nature. I think there's something to this. And I think it's actually something that's very important. And it's something that we are losing as a culture as we disconnect ourselves from nature. And so it's these, this two, two part thing. And the BBC's article is really only talking about one part of it, which is connecting with the natural world, connecting with the outdoors, connecting with the great outdoors. But I think that there's also that connecting with being present. And our phones are constantly dragging us away from this. And then I look at people who are giving smartphones to their seven-year-olds, and I get it, you know, having, having your kid having a phone so you can call them. 
but the smartphone, all that, all those features. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Are they going to grow up literally never knowing how to be bored or always dealing with their boredom by, by burying themselves in their phone? What does that mean? And welcome back. Let's see here. Patrick in Seaside, California. Hey, Patrick, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Greetings from May, Brussels, country, Tom. Um, I wanted to talk about the lawsuits um, against the FCC's decision to kill net neutrality. But I want to say, first off... Patrick, before you do that, you always when, when you call, you always say, greetings from, it sounds like May, but Russell country. I don't know what that is. May Brussel, the um, political researcher that uh, uh, moved up here from L.A. Her father was uh, Rabbi Magnin. Uh, ah. She was basically, um, she was one of the first researchers to uh, investigate the Kennedy assassinations, Martin Luther King, oh, interesting. Uh, Malcolm X, and basically, you know, the um, how they were all tied to uh, Project Paperclip, you know, yeah. kind of convolutedly tied and, and international fascism, but she was a longtime resident in the Monterey Peninsula. Fascinating. Okay, uh, back to your uh, um, FCC. I wanted to just talk about the lawsuits of, uh, against uh, uh, the FCC's decision, but before I do, I wanted to say that I, for the very first time, and I've wanted to do it for the longest time, and it's never been the right timing financially, I, uh, I donated to uh, Free, Speech T- Free Speech TV today for the first time ever. Good on you, Patrick. Thank you. I did uh, the three hundred and sixty dollar. Uh, I pledged. I donated twice. I did the uh, three hundred and sixty dollar Tom Hartman package and the hundred and fifty dollar Democracy Now package. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I actually did something worthwhile today. And and I can go months, even years, without having that feeling. Yeah. Well, thank you, Patrick. <laughs> that's that's very. But, um, but you want to talk about the FCC? Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, well, first of all, I, I've been posting on my page. I wanted to, to suggest to people because Verizon, AT and T, and Comcast are the big three who spent a combined total of six hundred million dollars over the last ten years to kill net neutrality. I'm trying to convince people, or I'm trying to urge people on my page to um, to basically lose AT and T and Verizon and switch to T-Mobile. And if you have uh, AT and T or Comcast, switch to Dish. Um, yeah. Yeah, T-Mobile is, is a German-based company, actually. There's been a couple of attempts to buy it by American companies, but uh, I, I, I have T-Mobile, and I was really impressed with their service when I was in Europe uh, the last time. They're all I over wanted Europe. To, I wanted to know if your thoughts about this, these lawsuits, are the, do you think these big uh, telecom, communica- uh, telecom companies are going to basically act like um, the Republicans in Congress and try and just uh, gorge themselves and get away with every type of uh, offense and criminality they can until we stop them? Or do of you course. Think Where do you think they're... the Republicans learned it? Pardon me? Where do you think the Republicans learned it? They're just imitating I corporate mean, America. Just, yeah, well, good point. I'm just wondering if they're going to be, like, just start immediately to try and block us from, like, progressive sites like Common no. Dreams. And no, Elder. it's not going to be immediate. It's, it's going to take probably a year. First of all, they're going to wait until the legal challenges shake out and whether or not the, the, uh, the, there's a congressional resolution of disapproval with regard to the Congressional Review Act. And, do you think they'll, do you think they'll um, so in other words, do you think that these lawsuits will basically hold them back for a while? Yes. 
Yes. Um, also, I just I wanted to make a request. I, I don't know if you, when you're writing books, if you uh, basically have like multiple books that you're writing at the same time. But I wanted to put in the request, the suggestion of writing a comprehensive history or maybe an, an anthology with other uh, contributors, other writers. Uh, of the history of the Libertarian Party, because I think it's desperately needed. I talk to people oh, yeah. who think that it's okay to be a Libertarian, because at least I'm not a Republican. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was created of, by, and for the billionaires. Thank you, Patrick. Welcome back. And then it goes Friday here, Dave in Buffalo. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Thank you. I'd like to wish you and your family a safe and happy holiday season. Thank you. Uh, about your you dogs, or for your dogs, or they have smart collars now. Uh, that determine uh, if they've gotten enough exercise for the day, and they have GPS uh, in case they get lost. One of them is called Link AKC. Okay, great. Uh, Thank two, you. Two items. Uh, uh, Flynn, if he had given uh, a, a lawyer by Trump, uh, and because he was charged with only felonies, and he, and he could have gotten out of the felonies, and if Trump had held them tight and, and, and got his lawyer, uh, couldn't he have put one degree of separation between him and some of the trouble uh, with a pardon because of the felonies? And then with uh, Alabama, uh, didn't uh, the Republican Party uh, suppress the vote themselves by saying that there's no there there? How do you get people to come out when you're constantly telling them there's no problem? You, by no problem, you mean that Roy Moore was just fine, thank you very much? Yeah, yeah. the left is just all yeah. fake news and there, there's no there there. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not real sure. The, the principal voter suppression that happened in Alabama, and the Alabama Republicans were quite clear about this, several of them were on the record, uh, was over 100,000, I think the, the number was over 120,000 Alabamans uh, lost their right to vote, people who were already registered voters, because they, they, they don't have uh, current active legal uh, state-issued uh, photo ID. Uh, they may be too old, they no longer drive a car, they may be too young, they haven't bought a car, they don't have a driver's license. Uh, they may be uh, people who are, you know, live in big cities and, and have, uh, you know, in, in downtown Birmingham, don't need a car, there's a good public transportation system, whatever. And it's mostly minorities, elderly people, and young people. And uh, that was a consequential voter suppression. Uh, you know, you're, I, I get the logic of what you're saying, and I'm not sure what impact it had with regard to Michael Flynn. I, I frankly don't know what uh, I do because I don't know enough. None of us know enough of, of the details of what Flynn did, what he was charged with, um, uh, what he was potentially charged with versus what he ended up pleading guilty to. So I, I just don't know the answer to the question, Dave. Thanks for the call. Uh, Rob Sendera in uh, Rob in Guys Mills, Pennsylvania. Hey, hey, Rob, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I wanted to talk to people about a plan I developed. I thought at least years ago, that one of the major things wrong with the country was I was sick of our U.S. manufacturing being destroyed and we're creating Chinese landfills all over America. Right. Um, to create jobs, I chose a different, more creative pattern based on the story of Henry Ford's story. Um, I watched this on the Ford and the Man and the Machine. I must watch that movie 85 times, realizing it held the secret. And what I want to do is there are about uh, 60 million people on Social Security, and probably about 50 million of those need some sort of transportation. They are on guaranteed incomes. And I wanted to start with working with Ford Motor Company and only the 
the big three American motor companies. I've been building engines for 47 years. Um, I want to know how people would feel about it if they could buy a brand new car that the government made the funds available to them, and that car got like 125 miles per gallon, and it didn't put out any emissions. Or I have another invention that they could get an electric car and charge it at home for free, so it wouldn't cost them nothing. The thing I'm looking at here is when Ford did this, there were people actually shooting each other in Detroit, fighting for jobs. It was so bad. Uh, you know, he was the man, and he was kind of stunned. But the thing is, Detroit, in my mind, is the center nucleus of the American manufacturing industry. It goes from there down to smaller plants, and it spiders right to the backyard guy with the junkyard in his backyard. And this goes out to Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois. Rob, what's your point? Well, you people think we could fix America by selling 50 million people brand new cars that uh, we guarantee them then loans. And yeah, I don't think we need to guarantee loans, Bob. Yeah. The, the, the solution to, uh, to Americans manufacturing, America's manufacturing problems or the solution to you know, middle-class stagnation, wage stagnation, um, isn't pushing people deeper into debt. Uh, the, the solution is changing the rules of the game by which big companies play the game of business in the United States. Well, and, well, I and understand that. I would do that, too. As long as foreign companies are manufacturing in the United States and they're refusing to allow unions into their manufacturing facilities, they're going to write, for work for, write to work for less states, as long as the American manufacturing companies uh, keep playing games with their unions, um, as, as, as long as you know, we are uh, still part of the World Trade Organization and, we are, we are, uh, and, and we've you know, joined the WTO and all that and NAFTA and everything else, as long as we maintain these trade agreements that allow you know, Korean and Japanese and German cars to come into the United States without tariffs, whereas Germany, Japan, and, and Korea, South Korea all have tariffs on American cars, uh, they do it through their VAT tax, but it's functionally a tariff. As long as that's going on, our our labor force is screwed, and our and our marketplace is going to be filled with non-American cars, and not just cars. It's true of electronics and everything else. We've got to change the rules of the game, Rob. Thanks for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. See, people keep looking at problems that are the result of systemic, you know, situations, and thinking that there are micro we need to hear the whole system. Well, Marco Rubio is uh, officially running for president in 2020. Here you've got the Republicans running this tax scam where they're going to deliver five and a half, six trillion dollars worth of our money to the top one percent over the next 10 years. Uh, you and I and, and anybody else who makes under a half a million bucks a year, or probably under two hundred thousand dollars a year, is going to pay more in taxes. And, uh, you know, in order to do this. And so Marco Rubio comes along and says, well, you know, let's uh, have the child tax credit be, you know, a few hundred dollars higher. In other words, let's throw a bone to the to the working poor, which sounds nice. Right. I mean, you know, little Marco, I shouldn't call him little Marco. That's a that's a that's a Trump slur and it's based on his height. Um, I need to come up with something that has to do with his policies rather than his appearance. But in any case, Marco Rubio, uh, you know, the guy who got rid of the guardrails, uh, the risk corridors in, in uh, Obamacare, 
who has done more to kneecap Obamacare than any other senator that I know of, uh, you know, he's, he wants to run for president. And, and if you're going to run for president, you have to have the rubes. We're talking, you know, Republican voters. You have to have the rubes thinking that you're looking out for them, even though Republicans never do. You know, I just saw, a, I, in fact, I just retweeted a, a graphic. I, I haven't double-checked its veracity, but everything I know leads me to believe that it's probably accurate, that 97 of the 100 poorest counties in the United States are in Republican-controlled states. And then it said, tell me again how Republicans know how to build the economy. You know, Republicans know how to transfer wealth from you, me, and everybody else to the top 1%, period, full stop. And so Rubio comes out and says, I'm taking a principled stand. If you guys don't give a couple hundred bucks to every one of those poor working people, I'm not going to vote for this bill. And they go, oh, Marco, we need your vote. We'll give you what you want. Oh, you're so noble. You're such a great man. I mean, even the picture, picture in, the New York, in the Washington Post of Rubio, he's got this look on his face like, I'm doing the tough work here for the people. Right. Make me want to puke. Anyhow. Irene in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Irene, you had advice for us on our new dog. Uh, uh, a previous caller talked about using a, a water bottle as a as a training tool, and I just wanted to let you know about a really bad experience I had with that. Mm-hmm. Um, some time ago, uh, we had purchased a female Doberman Pinscher uh, with uh, with Champion bloodlines and the intent to breed her. And at the, shortly after we gotten that dog, we had also gotten a little kitten. And I don't know if you know anything about the Doberman breed, but they've got very prominent teats. Mm-hmm. And a little cat was trying to nurse on the dog. And I just blame it on my weird Victorian upbringing. I thought it was really gross. And so I was using the spray bottle on the cat to get her to get away from the dog. Well... <laughs> went to breed the dog, and then she wouldn't feed her puppies because of that squirt bottle. Oh, uh, so in other words, you trained the dog. We this. ended up having to take the puppies away from her, and she was confused because she loved those puppies. She wanted, to, she wanted to care for them. She wanted to be with them, but we had to take them into a separate room and feed them with a bottle and stimulate their little bottoms to make them go just like the mother would lick right, right. and everything. And she would cry and cry at that door for her puppies. But if you put the puppies with her and they went to nurse, she'd snap at them. Wow. So it was... Lesson learned. <laughs> That's that's remarkable, Irene. Thanks for yeah. sharing that story with us. That's that's fascinating, and you yeah. know something to something to watch out for. Thank you, Carrie in Seattle. Hey, Carrie, what's on your mind today? Hello. Hey, Carrie. Yeah. Hey, I read a book last about a year ago. It was called Quantum Activism, and it was by by a guy named uh, a Mick uh, physicist that taught at University of Oregon. I think it was a Eugene, I think, or Corvallis, one of those. But his his whole thing was that. Instead of this upward progression that they teach where we came out from a primordial pool and then the crowning glory was our brain and it was the generator consciousness, his thing was that the, that the quantum side of the coin was was uh, primary to the, and it actually collapsed the, these information, quantum information waves into the manifest world and and these gaps in, in evolution are where it, the consciousness was always is always trying to make better representations of itself, and so the whole the whole thing is is that through these pa- 
pathways will work back and forth. There's collapse. It may be a condition collapse. That's why it's like consciousness block for everybody. And the whole thing is is to become aware of that side, and from there you may be able to create changes on when this thing has collapsed into the manifest world. So that's basically what I wanted to say. Hmm. Remarkable. I, it, my, my theory has always been that the original energy, which is the entire universe, that, that slowed down, collapsed into matter, was consciousness. And uh, consciousness that's beyond the consciousness that we normally experience and describe. Consciousness that's closer to something like Sat Chidananda, the, uh, you know, the consciousness of enlightenment. And that at that level, the entire universe is, is one thing and is consciousness. Um, but, uh, you know, whether, whether that's the case or not, I don't know, but it's my operating theory. That's a good one, Kerry. Thanks. The whole thing was to quit speculating on it, that it's possible. Maybe when you talk about going for walks or when you're even going through the checkout line and the thinker's absence for a minute, you're probably in on that other side. And one other thing, when they did these experiments, the, you've heard of the double slit experiments where yep. they shot a photon molecule and then it was registered behind behind this lead or metal plate that had two horizontal slits, and it had register on a screen, a photographic screen behind. Right. And when they were observing the experiment, it acted like baseballs. It'd go through one slit or the other, and that's the way it would register on the screen. When they weren't observing the experiment, the photon went through both slits at the same time and registered a different story on the photographic screen. Right. So the whole thing is if you're laying in your living room watching TV and nobody's there, you're actually in wave state until somebody observes you or you observe yourself. Right, it could be, yeah. And, and uh, Amika Swanda wrote uh, some great books on this. Uh, Fred Wolf wrote some, some good books on this. I, I spent a week uh, in uh, India at the Dalai Lama's home with both of them, I mean, these two physicists, and uh, just some brilliant stuff. Uh, that was back in 1999. And, and yeah, and, and in fact, I think it was Goswanda uh, or, or maybe actually it might have been like Niels Bohr, one of those guys back in the 60s, um, who said that the that reality is a continuous, a, a continuous. I'm forgetting the adjective he used, um, something like amorphous, you know, swirling bowl of primordial soup that snaps into being the moment you look at it, and the moment you look away, it turns back into this primordial soup, back into waves. Because what you're describing is the change, the transition between a wave state and a particle state. And uh, yeah, and the, and the screen, by the way, was coated with phosphorus, so that when an electron hits the phosphorus, it causes it to knock a, a valence electron off the, uh, off the atoms and, and, uh, and lights it up. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that SLIDA experiment is fairly famous. Yeah, spot, spot on. Good stuff, Kerry. Thank you for the call. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Uh, hi, how you doing? Good. Um, yeah, uh, I think meditation is a good thing, but what works for me is just being nice to people. That's a and great start. Whatever that gives you back is a whole lot better than anything, you know, uh, you know, uh, when I think of the 50s, you know, it was all about, you know, white people and everything, but everybody was happy and connected. The postman, the, uh, um, uh, you know, like uh, um, the honeymooners, that whole thing. Right. That was, you know, everyone was connected, and there wasn't a class thing or anything like that. But 
Well, there, anyway, there was. Uh, it just wasn't it wasn't quite because because inequality was nowhere near as bad in the 1950s was the right. lowest period of inequality in the history of the United mm -hmm. States. And it was right. because of the social programs that have been put into place in the 1930s by Franklin Roosevelt and expanded, frankly, by by Dwight Eisenhower. He, he bragged about, uh, you know, having expanded those programs. So, right. yeah. Sp spot yeah, and and I, I guess you and I grew up that time, yeah. and I don't remember so many discussions about money and this whole yeah. you know back and forth about taxes or anything. I maybe I was you know sheltered or something, but it, among anybody I knew, it wasn't the big topic. Dwight Eisenhower was a Republican, and he ran for election and successful and and successful re-election on maintaining a 91% top tax rate for billionaires and a 40% uh, plus tax rate for, for corporations. Corporations at that point right. in time were providing about a third of the total revenue for the federal government. Now it's around 11%. So uh, right. yeah, things have changed a lot since the 1950s. Right. Bill, I gotta move along, but thank you for the call. Carlos in Austin, Texas. Hey, Carlos, what's up? Yeah, yes, uh, Tom, thank you for uh, taking my call. Uh, what I would like to talk about is uh, the administration's enforcement and focus on uh, illegal immigration, mm -hmm. uh, specifically like with the undocumented worker. I mean, I, I've listened to their position for however long the administration has been in office now, and no one ever talks about the employer that's right. Uh, side of the coin, the people that hire the undocumented. You're absolutely right. And I've been saying this for, for a long, long time, Carlos. We don't have a, a, quote, illegal immigrant problem in the United States. We have an, an illegal employer problem in the United States. Exactly. Reagan that, was the one. exactly true. Right. Reagan yeah, changed the policy. He, he changed prior to, 19, to 1986. We used to put wealthy white employers in jail when they hired people who were not citizens. Reagan stopped that process. And as a result, those wealthy white employers started bringing as many people as they could exploit into this country as possible. Carlos, thank you very much. Spot on. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Back with more of your calls. Anything goes Friday right after this. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeets.com on the interwebs. Welcome back, Jim in Los Angeles. Hey, Jim, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Hey, Tom. Hey, Jim. Yeah, sorry, I was in a coffee bean. Uh, anyhow, uh, uh, thank God for Alabamans. I'm glad they got out there. Uh, uh, 
two things I really uh, I wanted to say. So many uh, uh, millennials are registered independent, and they must change it to Democrat. The United States of America is a two-party system. That's it. There's You can go green locally or whatever, but you have to register Democrat. There's a, uh, serious reasons for that. That's yeah. partly in the... Particularly in if you want to participate and, in Democratic and primaries and close primary red states. states. The churches should start voter registration drives. People can't people, hear me. You know how Alabama closed all the DMVs. The churches must have, a, you know, vans taking people to register to vote yeah. Democratic. Jim, we, is it... Am I really faint on your end of the phone? Uh, yes, you are, my friend. Yeah, okay. Because I've, I've uh, you know, had a number of people speak, talk over me today. I think that we've got a volume problem. We've got to fix this. Um, anyhow, uh, your point is well taken, Jim. What's the call for action? Uh, the call for action, one, millennials, register to vote Democratic. Yeah. If, you're, if you're registered, if you're not, but... But so many, there's only, I found there's only 37% of Americans registered Democratic. Right. And, and there's about, 30% registered Independent. Yeah. In, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jim. You're, you're, we're, we're starting, we're both starting to repeat ourselves. I'm spot on. I agree. Thank you for the call. Uh, All right, Tom. Yeah. Good talking with you. Doug, uh, watching Free Speech TV in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Doug, we got a minute to the break. What's up? Actually, maybe a minute and a half. Hey, Tom, yeah, I'm having a hard time hearing you, but I'll make this really quick. Thank you. Uh, I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado, and we uh, had our on the ballot last November for our city to provide us with high-speed Internet. Mm-hmm. It'll be very cheap, like $35 a month compared to Comcraft is charging me over 100 Right. And this way, uh, we won't have a, Did it pass? a corporation throttling our Internet. Did it pass? Yes, it did. That's Overwhelmingly, great. even though that there was commercials on TV all the time saying to vote against it, it was a dumb idea. It passed overwhelmingly here in Colorado. That's we have not... other cities here in Colorado that are doing it also, and everybody's happy with it. So I would yeah. ask everybody to get your cities involved to provide it as a utility. Well, the, the only problem here, Doug, is that the FCC is saying that they can now pass a regulation at the federal level saying that it is against the law for states or municipalities to do what you just described. Uh, 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 one more thing for me to call my senator about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this, is, this is why, under the Congressional Review Act, we need to blow up what Ajit Pai did yesterday. And, you know, there needs to be a motion of disapproval passed in both the House and the Senate. And there's a bunch of Republicans who are on the right side of this issue, too. I mean, the, the 80, 90 percent of Americans are horrified by the loss of net neutrality. This is something that it was purely done for a handful of corporations that have spent about $600 million lobbying for this over the last you know, decade or so. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Doug, thank you for the call. Uh, good for you, Colorado, or I guess Longmont, Fort Collins, whatever the, whatever the town was that did that. Good on you. We'll be right back. Tom Harmon here with you. Rob, listening to WPRR in Rockford, Michigan. Hey, Rob, what's on your mind? 
Uh, hi, Tom. I just wanted to bring uh, something to your attention. Um, so net neutrality was killed, or internet equality uh, was killed now, and I work for AT&T, and this morning they had an announcement where they are laying off over 4,500 uh, union workers, um, and they told us all that this morning. Wow. So these corporations like AT&T, giant, insanely profitable corporations uh, that uh, and AT&T just got its way in blowing up net neutrality, that so desperately need a tax cut because they're so profitable, are laying off union workers? Really? That's right. Wow. Wow. Rob, thanks for the heads up on that. That's uh, not surprising, but bad news. Mariah in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hey, Mariah, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, my name is Mariah, and I'm a member of Rutgers United Students Against Sweatshop. We're actually running the Fight for 15 here at Rutgers campus, and we just won $11. But following an action on Tuesday at the Board of Trustees, a police from the Rutgers Police Department has been following student activists and organizers around campus, harassing them and attempting to incite fear in workers. Well, well. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. And I'm calling to ask people to call in to the Rutgers Police Department um, and express their concern with this blatant abuse of power. Okay. Now, the, the Rutgers Police Department answers, presumably, to Rutgers University. So yeah, wouldn't it be, um, wouldn't, you know, if you want to have a pressure point, rather than talking to the malefactors themselves, who will just say, yeah, tough luck and hang up on you. Why not contact well, actually, the office of the uh, president of the Bureau university? Of investigative affairs has started getting involved in response to the mass number of phone calls we have. Oh, great. If you want to put another point of pressure on it, you can call student affairs and ask for Felicia McGinty. Okay. Yeah. I would think student affairs or the president's office or someplace like that would be the, you know, a really, really important place to start. Mariah, good luck and, and keep us up to date on your student activism, how it's working. Okay. All right. Thank you Great. so much. Great. Thanks a lot, Mariah. Great to hear from you. Linda in Deerfield Beach, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, I had a little piece of advice as far as you're looking for a new coochie, and I have a question. Okay. Um, my advice is make sure to get your trainer ready. <laughs> yes. we've. Uh, Louise has a really great trainer, and, and uh, Blue is, like, surprisingly well-trained, so... She's all over that. Well, but Blue is also going to be the alpha dog. So when you introduce them or when you go pick this dog out, you've got to go take Blue with you. Yeah. Because it's going to be about scents. And they have 400 sensors on their nose. And if they sense that something's a threat, something's different, this is going to take attention from me, you're going to see a side of Blue you've never saw before. Yeah, I, I suspect you will. Blue toys up, wash them, and introduce them into a safe area that neither one has, has scented yet. That's uh, my advice. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking, buy a bunch of brand new toys so that they're not, you know, so Blue doesn't think this new dog is taking his toys, um, you know, rather that, uh, hey, it's Christmas morning kind of thing, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but I think you've got a handle on it. Um, my other question is, and I'll take your answer off the air, um, what is this net neutrality going to do to these mom and pop businesses that run on the Internet, and isn't this eventually going to backfire on them because people aren't going to use the Internet because they can't afford it? Correct. And I'll take your answer off the air. Well, no, you're, you, you don't even need to do that, Linda. I'm just telling you, you are absolutely right. Um, the, the death of net neutrality is the victory 
of literally a handful of giant multinational, multi-billion dollar, insanely profitable corporations that own the pipes into our houses. And uh, unlike in other countries where if they have the pipe into your house, they're required to let anybody run their electrons over them. Um, here in the United States, we allow them to lock your house out. And so if Verizon is providing the cable into your house, then Comcast can't be your ISP or AT&T can't be your ISP or Sovernet can't be your ISP or whatever. And uh, we need to change that uh, so that there's actual competition in the Internet service provider sector. But you're right. This is going to be devastating to smaller companies once they start jacking up the price to add content to the Internet. It's, it's going to be terrible. Linda, thank you for the call. Patrick in Donaldson, Illinois. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind? Yes, Tom, can you hear me? Just fine, Patrick. I, I, I'm yeah. guessing I am faint in your ear. Oh, that's all right. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to thank you for the work you do, and you're a real patriot of the first order, and I appreciate it. like your show. Thank you. And um, I like what you said about Marco Rubio. I couldn't agree more about that, his uh, grandstand fake defiance there. And uh, yeah. I hope he's not fooling too many people. And um, also... You, um, your story about your poem and accused accusation of uh, plagiarism, I had a similar experience that really hit home with me, and it kind of killed my spirit when I was younger, and I think it affected uh, in a major negative way my uh, educational opportunities uh, after that. And I just, you know, appreciate good teachers. I have a lot of them in my family, my sister and my mom, and uh, and I think it's getting better I don't know if you went to public school. Yeah, but I did. Anyway, the real comment yeah. is, um, I'm, I'm sorry, um, my real question is, um, uh, as far as uh, Tom, what's his name? Steyer? Piers, yeah, that's uh, leading the um, uh, impeach Trump movement. Right. Uh, I was really down with that at first, and it sounds like a great idea. But now I'm questioning, um, is, might it be better to keep, Trump in office because he's so impotent and ineffective and and more so every the day. The problem is he's not impotent and ineffective, Patrick. He ha he is is slashing the EPA. He's destroying the Department of Interior. He is he is cutting uh, the IRS. He's, he's cutting the staffing of the Social Security Administration so that, you know, you're going to start having problems with Social Security, et cetera, et cetera. He is doing what Republicans always do which is break government so that then they can stand around and go, oh, look, at it's broken. Let's replace it with for-profit corporations. Anyhow, it's been a great week. Thank you so much for being with us this week. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us to participate, and that includes you. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.